from the host of the Geeky Retro Nerd Show podcast. The only podcast to be named by Mr. Mark Hamill himself. This is Journals of the Jedi, a Star Wars podcast. Hello, how are you doing? Welcome to Journals of the Jedi. My name is Adam and I am honoured by your presence. In this episode, I am continuing the Star Wars year by year theme where I look at each year in the history of Star Wars and talk about music, movies, historical events from that particular year and of course talk about what was going on in the world of Star Wars. So this episode is all about 1975. So as usual, I'm going to take a run through this year's top grossing movies, and it's the top grossing movies in the USA. Uh, and number 10 is Aloha, Bobby and Rose. Um, I've never actually seen this movie, but it had a budget of $600,000, and it made $35 million, so pretty good. Uh, at number 9, The Apple Dumpling Gang, which is a Disney movie, which made uh, nearly $37 million. Funny Lady at number 8. At number seven, Three Days of the Condor. Number six, The Return of the Pink Panther. Brilliant film. Budget of $5 million. And it made nearly $42 million. So that's pretty good. Number five, Shampoo. Um, number four, Dog Day Afternoon. Brilliant film. Number three, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Classic. Made nearly $109 million. Number two is The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Made nearly $140 million in 1975. Number one is... Can you guess? Do you know what was number one in 1975? I'll tell you towards the end of the show. So the top selling UK singles of this year. At number 10 is Tears on My Pillow, Johnny Nash. Number nine, I Only Have Eyes For You, Art Garfunkel. Number eight, The Last Farewell by Roger Whittaker. Number seven, Hold Me Close by David Essex. Number six, Give a Little Love by the Bay City Rollers. Number five, Stand By Your Man, Tammy Wynette. Number four, Whispering Grass, Windsor Davies and Donna Still. <laughs> Number three, Can't Give You Anything But My Love, The Stylistics. Number two, Sailing, Rod Stewart. And number one was Bye Bye Baby by Bay City Rollers. So that was the top movies and the top singles from this year. But what was going on Star Wars wise? Well, let me tell you, there was a hell of a lot going on Star Wars wise. So let's dive in. In January of 1975, George Lucas completed the second draft of uh, Star Wars. And it was titled Adventures of the Star Killer. And it was, it's, it's really, really close to the final product that we know and love and what's really interesting is it's it's at this point that Ralph McQuarrie was commissioned 
to provide some concept drawings to accompany the second draft. And I'm going to talk about those drawings in a minute. I'm just going to talk a bit more about the second draft first. Here's the opening crawl from the second draft. Have a listen to this. The Republic Galactica is dead. Ruthless trader barons, driven by greed and the lust for power, have replaced enlightenment with oppression and ruled by the people with the first galactic empire. Until the tragic holy rebellion of 06, the respected Jedi Bendu of Ashla were the most powerful warriors in the universe. For a hundred thousand years, generations of Jedi Bendu knights learned the ways of the mysterious force of others and acted as the guardians of peace and justice in the Republic. Now these legendary warriors are all but extinct. One by one they have been hunted down and destroyed by a ferocious rival sect of mercenary warriors, the Black Knights of the Sith. It is a period of civil wars. The Empire is crumbling into lawless barbarism throughout the million worlds of the galaxy. From the celestial equator to the farthest reaches of the Great Rift, 70 small solar systems have united in a common war against the tyranny of the Empire. Under the command of a mighty Jedi warrior known as the Star Killer, the Rebel Alliance has won a crushing victory over the deadly Imperial Star Fleet. The Empire knows that one more such defeat will bring a thousand more solar systems into rebellion and Imperial control of the Outlands could be lost forever. Now then, <laughs> it's a bit wordy, isn't it? And there's a, there's a lot of words in there that I suspect children wouldn't really understand because obviously, as we all know, Star Wars is directed at children. And um, I wouldn't have had a clue what the hell they were talking about there if that was the opening crawl. There's a lot of words in there. No wonder it was uh, it was uh, changed and, and trimmed down. <laughs> and this script is the first to feature the force as a supernatural power because in the two earlier drafts um the jedi were just depicted as potent warriors also in this draft spoiler alert vader dies he dies at the end um, during the attack on the death star when han han still swoops in on this um script but vader crashes and dies <laughs> unfortunately but there are a lot of similarities, you know, they talk about Moss Eisley, Yavin 4, Chewbacca, the characters, Han Solo, uh, TIE Starfighters. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of similarities between this and the movie that we eventually got in 1977. So what else was happening? Well, I mentioned before that Ralph McQuarrie was commissioned to do some concept drones to accompany the second draft and um, they are stunning they're absolutely stunning you've definitely definitely seen these um, concept drones before he did them early 1975 he spent two days on each and i'm just going to speak about uh, a bit about each one here um, i've got my book ready <laughs> and the first one was droids in the desert he completed that on january the 5th and this is the one where um r2d2 and c3po are on a desert planet and the escape pod is in the background and that was completed like i say on january the 5th um, Ralph McQuarrie says about this picture I gave R2 three legs figuring he threw himself forward like a person on crutches I picked up some landscape from a photograph of the Oregon coast because I like the cliff and I just put the sand dunes in 
in that Lucas's instruction actually Macquarie revises C3PO making him appear less human and more mechanical so it's at this point isn't it with this second draft and Macquarie doing his drawings that that the, the the people create these creative minds are starting to get a feel for what these characters look like and feel like um it's incredible isn't it it's fascinating the the next one he did he completed on february the 20th city in the clouds um and it says here in the book in lucas's second draft of the script luke starkiller and han solo who was a young Corellian pirate, travel across space to rescue Luke's brother, Dick, who has been imprisoned by Darth Vader on the imperial, imperial island city of Alderaan, which is suspended in the atmosphere of a same-named grey gaseous planet. And it goes on to say, due to budgetary concerns, subsequent script revisions eliminate the floating city from the story. So, so the concept drawn is stunning. It's absolutely beautiful, and you can see why there was there was a few concerns around um, the budget when when this is the kind of thing they were wanting to create because it, it looks incredibly um, elaborate and technical. It looks fantastic. It looks brilliant. Um, the next one he completed was on February the twenty second, and it's a battle for the Death Star. Um, here Macquarie envisions the Death Star's laser cannon with a deep power core in which energy is charged before being fired at the opening of the battle station surface so the, the ideas are really taking shape aren't they this is all very familiar to us this is what we get as a finished product it's fascinating stuff then there's another one um, and again you've definitely seen this one before he's done this one in March of 1975 and it's just simply titled Cantina. Uh, Macquarie presents Han Solo's showdown with an alien while the droids watch. And it's um, obviously a picture of Han Solo. There's a something that resembles a stormtrooper in there. Um, something that resembles C-3PO in the background and they're in the cantina and there's several little um, creatures watching on r2d2's in there as well it's a brilliant brilliant drawing um uh, oh i missed one out he completed one in february uh, 14th and 15th called laser jewel and macquarie illustrates jedi dick star killers fight with darth vader on a rebel ship and again you've seen this before definitely and uh, the, the the concept drawn of Darth Vader is very, very similar again to what we get in the movie. Deke Starkiller reminds me a bit of Star-Lord. He looks like he looks a bit like Star-Lord, you know, when he's got the breathe. Star-Lord's got the, from Guardians of the Galaxy, he's got the breathing apparatus on his face. That's what Deke Starkiller's got here. And he's, he appears to have some oxygen tanks or something on his back, which enable him to breathe. But they're both holding laser swords. And they look like torches turned on with a bit of light coming out of them. But it's fascinating, you know, when you th you think think back and all this is coming together. 1975, you've got the second draft. You know, we're talking about characters that we, we um, recognise to go with Mr. Macquarie's concept drones. Beautiful, absolutely stunning. Now, when I turn the page in this book, there's a big double page picture of a famous Ralph Macquarie drawn. And, and it appears to be uh, Luke Skywalker standing at the top of the 
um, cliff looking out over Moss Eisley on Tatooine. And what it says under the picture, this is what it says. It says, obviously, Ralph McQuarrie is responsible for much of the look of the original trilogy, including Tatooine, Luke Skywalker's home planet, with its desert-style landscape and twin suns. For a few weeks during pre-production, the character of Luke became a young woman, as evidenced in this particular painting. Now, if you've seen this painting before and you have a close look, um, what you think might be Luke Skywalker appears to be very feminine. Um, and this also shows Macquarie's design for a land speeder. So to the left of the photo is a really cool looking land speeder. It looks better than the one in the film, to be honest, because uh, it's got gullwing doors. And it says here they were inspired by Mercedes-Benz. Macquarie's production paintings depict key scenes from the scripts, setting up the mood for the movie and inspiring some of the models, sets and costumes. John Barry and George Johnston provide additional key art direction and concepts. Now, I mentioned John Barry's name there. I love Ralph McQuarrie and his contribution to, you know, what Star Wars looks and, and feels like. But John Barry doesn't get mentioned as much, I don't think. Um, obviously, John Barry was a, was a production designer and he contributed a lot as well to Star Wars. And unfortunately, it, actually, it's an incredibly sad story. After he worked on Star Wars, um, he, worked, he also worked on the first two Superman films. And following um, those box office hits, Barry was given the chance to direct his own project, the science fiction film Saturn 3. But during the film, and Barry fell out with um, the star of the movie, which was Kirk Douglas. And unfortunately, he was replaced by Stanley Donan. Um, but, um, you know, their loss was George Lucas's gain because he was snapped up as the second unit director on The Empire Strikes Back. However, on May the 31st, 1979, which was two weeks into filming, um, John Barry collapsed on set and he was hospitalised and his temperature rose to 104 degrees. Unfortunately, he died at 2am on June the 1st um, of meningitis. So incredibly sad story, but John Barry should get a hell of a lot of credit for his contribution to Star Wars. So what else was happening in 1975? Um, well, I've got to say it's fascinating reading this book and just and, and reading through it and looking at it. And, and it, it's just thing after thing after thing of really important things that were going on in, in the production of Star Wars. So in 1975, Lucas is having a conversation with Steven Spielberg that he wants, he's considering having a, a classical romantic soundtrack for Star Wars. So who does Steven Spielberg introduce him to? He introduces him to a certain Mr. John Williams, who had already scored um, the Sugarland Express and Jaws with that fantastic rousing um, score. So 1975, George Lucas met John Williams. In April of 1975, George Lucas decided that he wanted to start his own special effects house. Of course, famously, um, George Lucas set up his own um, company to deal with the special effects for Star Wars. And he wanted to do this because he wanted to save time and, of course, money. And at the effects company Future General, he met up with Douglas Trumbull, uh, uh, sorry, a colleague of Douglas Trumbull's, John Dykstra. 
um, and Dykstra assisted Trumbull on 2001 and Silent Running. So he had good pedigree, didn't he, John Dykstra? Lucas explains his ambition um, and he wants to see spaceships in dogfights and he shows Dykstra his own collection of aerial battles which he's gathered from various war movies which, um, which were huge influences. Dykstra says the effects can be achieved if Lucas finances the building of a motion control camera. So he's coming up with his own um, company. He's coming up with his own way of doing things. He's coming up with a new way of doing effects. It's incredible. Um, and then later on, John Dykstra finds an empty warehouse uh, for Lucas's special effects house. And the location inspired Lucas to name the company Industrial Light and Magic. And Lucas says, we were sitting in an industrial park and using light to create magic. So there you go, industrial light and uh, magic. And then Dykstra's former colleague, Richard Alexander, um, and Alexander's colleague, Richard Edland, and model shop supervisor, Grant McCune, are among ILM's first hires. So there you go, the, the nucleus of ILM was coming together in 1975, and industrial light and magic was born. Um. Now, I went through the top 10 movies of 1975 before. Uh, well, actually, I only give you nine because I told you I'd tell you the number one movie later in the in the show. And I've already mentioned it once by mistake, actually. <laughs> um, in June of 1975, Jaws was released. Jaws opens, obviously directed by Steven Spielberg and, of course, based on Peter, Peter Benchley's novel, and the film starred Roy Schneider, Robert Shaw, and Richard Dreyfuss. Fantastic performances, weren't there? From from all the cast, really, in that movie. Fantastic. Uh, and Jaws breaks the box office record, which was previously set by The Godfather, and becomes the first movie to earn $100 million in theatrical rentals. So Jaws is your number one movie for 1975. Now then, the second half of 1975 is all about the third draft and casting. So in August, Lucas completes the third draft, now titled The Star Wars from the Adventures of Luke Starkiller. And significant changes include Deke Starkiller being replaced by Princess Leia and a previously unnamed old male Jedi becomes General Ben Kenobi. And possibly in keeping with... Um, uh, George Lucas's analysis of mythology Luke Starkiller becomes a loner whose deceased father was a Jedi and also in August um, casting begins so um, Lucas's friend and producer Fred Ruse enlists casting director Diane Crittenden to begin casting for the Star Wars and they started doing this at the Zootrope offices at Goldwyn Studios and the early casting process listen to this tests about 250 actors a day that's a day for three weeks <laughs> is there that many actors in the world <laughs> must be Brian De Palma joins Lucas and at the same time he's looking for actors for his upcoming film of Stephen King's Carrie and actually De Palma considers a young Carrie Fisher for the title role in Carrie so because Lucas had decided to film much of the movie um, 
in, in England. I was going to say here in England. I don't live in England anymore. I live in Scotland now. Um, English English actors are cast for the supporting roles, including prominent um, costume characters. So Anthony Daniels, who was an actor. Um, experienced in stage work and radio dramas and famously as a, as a mime artist is cast as C-3PO and although R2-D2 was remote controlled um, Kenny Baker who was a cabaret performer was cast to sit inside R2-D2 and do the, um, the, the movements for R2 um, Dave Prowse was offered two roles he was offer, offered either Darth Vader or Chewbacca, obviously he picked Darth Vader, so therefore that meant Peter Mayhew by default was um, left with the role of Chewbacca, and Peter Mayhew at the time was a porter at London's King's College Hospital and the role of Ben Kenobi is given to the incredibly talented Alec Guinness um, and, and a major coup that isn't it, getting Alec somebody the calibre of Alec Guinness in this film um, I can only imagine what was going through Alec Guinness's mind um, when, when he signed up for this. However, you know, he did it. Um, and one of the major reasons for him signing up was because he was impressed by this new breed of um, young filmmakers. So that was good news for George Lucas, wasn't it? Getting somebody of that, that magnitude involved. So that was all happening in September. Um, in October, um, a side note, Saturday Night Live started on NBC, it premiered, obviously it's still going now, but it premiered in October 1975. Then in December, uh, although George Lucas wanted unknown actors for Star Wars, uh, Fred Roos thought that Harrison Ford would be an ideal um, actor for Han Solo. Now at this point, Harrison Ford is a professional carpenter, and uh, this is a very famous story, This you probably already know this. But Harrison Ford was um, hired to fit a door at the place where the casting was taking place. And Rue suggested to George Lucas that Ford should read with everybody. And Lucas agreed. Um, videotaped actors include Amy Irvin, William Catt, Kurt Russell. Imagine Kurt Russell in Star Wars. That would have been brilliant. Perry King, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher and American graffiti actors Cindy Williams and Charles Martin Smith. Now, obviously, ultimately, Hamill is cast as Luke Starkiller, Ford as Han Solo, and Fisher as Leia. Um, so how lucky was Harrison Ford there? <laughs> Incredible story. So 1975 was a brilliant year in the history of Star Wars, wasn't it? All the main players are, are getting involved. Everything's starting to take shape. It's coming along nicely. And, and also, of course, we're only two years away from release. Um, so I just want to finish this episode by talking about a few events that happened in 1975. So Civil War begins in Lebanon. Charlie Chaplin is knighted. General Franco dies and Spain starts on road to democracy and Faulty Towers premiered on BBC Two in September 1975. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you found that interesting. Join us for the next episode, which will of course be 1976. Thanks again. See ya.